Hello, welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are Groundworks Inc. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. Heritage Radio Network broadcasts from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. We Dig Plants is produced and engineered by Jack Inslee. So here on the show, we aim to bring the culture to horticulture, and in doing so, we have to talk about the future, right, Carm? Yes, the future. Future gardeners, future gardens. People that understand and are invested in the environment so that it lasts. <laughs> as, as you all know, um, or if you, if you don't know because you don't live here, New York City is a pretty rough place to live. No. <laughs> it's hard to get access to the environment. Um, it can be hard to feel the grass underneath your feet. It's hard to sit below trees and experience the wind. And it's hard to understand that a worm is really not a bad insect. It's a good thing. And it tastes good washed down with Coke. <laughs> Avocados are <laughs> not native. And that bananas are imported. And that the environment is really a health issue. Um, it's not just about plants, but it's about life and its systems. So living in the city can also be a very wonderful experience. There's culture, there's museums, there's great food, there's all kinds of people. But access and experience with nature is what really creates a well-rounded person. Couldn't agree more, Alice. So when I first moved to New York, I, I had a job at the Horticultural Society of New York, and that's where Carmen and I met, you know, friends and life and health. <laughs> and one of my great friends and one of my first friends in New York was um, a woman named Pam Ito, who is our guest today um, on the show. Hi, Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi there. So our friend Pam helps New Yorkers do just that, experience health and nature and life in New York City. She brings the environment to the classroom and she educates New York City kids about plants, food, street trees, insects, etc. All things that New York City kids don't really have readily at their feet. Her program is called Appleseed. She works for the Horticultural Society of New York and she's the program director and director of children's education um, aimed at elementary age school kids. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. And Pam, I have to say, you, Pam started the program. She's the founder as well as the director, aren't you, Pam? You started well, Appleseed. The, the program actually started in 1988, but mm. when I came on board, um, it was a bit small. And since then, it's grown to serve 20,000 students. That's awesome. Well, I consider you the founder then, Pam. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I always thought of you as the founder. And, yeah, and that's Pam's the founder. <laughs> um, a little bit about Pam. She's from Hawaii, so she certainly knows and understands nature. She studied environmental education at Lewis and Clark University in Oregon. She worked on fishing boats to monitor fish catch in Seattle and Alaska. Spent three years in Kenya planting trees through Peace Corps and then moved to New York City with her Peace Corps husband and now is the Director of Children's Education at the Hort. So, Pam, tell us a little bit about um, Appleseed. You just kind of told us how many kids you've served, but how many schools are you in? And uh, tell us a little bit about the, the founding of it. Sure. Um, Appleseed was, was formulated in response to the to a growing need for children to be connected with living things and right. natural things, especially our city kids often don't even have an opportunity to plant anything. Right. Um, 
it serves elementary school students. And when I go into many elementary school third grade classes and ask how many students have ever planted anything, oftentimes the response is maybe 30% have planted, um, which is staggering for a student who's nine years old. Right, um, right. It's amazing to me that kids can go through life through nine years of life, not really ever having a connection with soil. Right, not even and an avocado pit. In a water glass, right. Yeah. You know. Well, so apple seed is formulated in response to that. It's a hands-on approach to learning, and it focuses on not only acquiring knowledge, but actually exploring exciting tools and process-based education. So the students are actually guided through... Um, watching things change over time, and they're actually responsible for a lot of things, for, for growing and for watching the garden change over time. So how many schools is the Appleseed program in? Oh, right now we're in about 15 to 20 sites, Okay, and um, we're serving 3,000 children annually. Okay. And how does a school get picked, Pam? Um, we have different relationships, partners, uh, partnerships with the DOE. So some schools contract us directly. Department of Al- Education, right? Right. Yeah. Although okay. with um, declining city budgets, we're we're getting more and more funding through groups like the After School Corporation, the Harlem Children's Zone, even even some parents associations. Um, and also direct foundation funding. We do have some programs that are specifically centered around water conservation, for uh-huh. example, with the Catskill Watershed Corporation. Uh-huh. And then we also have other programs where people would just like to see students outside gardening. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about the curriculum, like some typical lesson plans. Um, our curriculum is based on four principles. Um, we study environmental studies, so things you know in the environment, local things that the students have access to, like street trees, and we can watch, we can care for them, identify them, and watch them change over time. And in the environmental studies area, we're able to collect leaves and watch, um, you know, the impacts of human populations on the environment. We also look at life cycle studies, both plant and animal life cycles. Oh, cool! And uh-huh. um, basic botany, the function, the function that plants have, and their anatomy, uh-huh. and then also garden studies, which includes, um, you know, using tools, studying weather, um, increasing soil fertility, and then also just ongoing care for gardens. And this is actually in the classroom, so it's not like an after-school program or or it's during school hours, Pam, right? We do a little bit of both, actually. Some some of the classes, some schools um, have gardens that they'd like to maintain, and then some after-school programs have gardens that they also allow their students to really use as an outdoor classroom. Right. So um, tell us what a typical day is like for you. Because you've well, had, I know you've had some some fun stories, <laughs> interesting activities. Well, um, actually, right now we're preparing our gardens for spring, so we might be doing um, a little investigation on what kind of plants prefer this temperature and what kind of plants 
wouldn't really make it into the summer. And since we're going around the school year, we prefer to harvest things that, that can be eaten by June. So right. we're preparing garden beds. We're teaching the students about using hand tools and um, measuring you know, devices, rulers, thermometers, all those sorts of things. And then um, every, every time that we ever go outside, we really take a good look at the weather and how that's going to affect the garden. So we might measure um, the temperature and watch the temperature tra- change over time. Well, Pam, right actually, now. I don't mean to interrupt, but it just reminded me that some of our clients should be in your classes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? I know it's it's basic. Even though I say that we do a lot of life cycle studies, it's really a lot of studying just life. Yeah, and and studying, you know, hence what I said, core (laughs) fundamental elements like light and soil and air. Oh, if only they'd taken the apple seed curriculum, (laughs) (laughs) our lives would be so much easier. Um, right awesome. now, we're going to actually be planting lettuce, and so that's one of the things that um, really try to get students to eat a little bit more lettuce. If everybody just ate a little bit more lettuce, how would the world be? Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what I love, Pam, about you, is that you have these um, very kind of simple approaches to life. Because they're very studied, you know, you, you can have this big picture. And, and you know, you, you're a bit of a philosopher in your in your statement of, if everyone just had a little more lettuce, how would the world be different? <laughs> right. And it's true, you know? It, it is. It is so true. Well, and also, if we could change that a tiny bit, and it, everybody just planted a little bit more lettuce. Yeah. You know, how would that affect um, the amount of, of carbon monoxide in the air. I mean, we spend so much money on plants that we can readily grow ourselves. Uh huh. And it's very true. And as you know, as this year is showing, with with all the turmoil all over different parts of the world, the more we can secure our own foods, a, a portion, Pam, even just a portion of our own food, right? You know, it would make a huge difference. Well, you know? Pam, I remember I actually volunteered to work with you one day. Um, years ago and we took kids to the green market and it was their first time for a lot of these kids at the green market and i remember the first question you said is what's what do you not like what are you seeing around you that that is unfamiliar and or or just describe what you think you're going to see at the green market and this child raised his hand and he said bananas avocados and you were like, no, we're not going to see those here. And why? You know? And that right. was part of the lesson. So, you know, that's a, that's a crazy story. And, and I'm sure a lot of our New York, non-New York listeners are thinking, what? You know? Right. It, it, is, it is a little bit puzzling when you hear students th- say that they think carrots come from a plastic bag. Right. And so going to the green market is a really fabulous experience to actually connect students with farmers and with carrots that still have their tops on and that might even have dirt on them still. Right. And so even though we don't usually plant carrots in our program because they need a lot of space and very deep soil, we are able to take carrots into the classroom and, and not just use them to stamp little make little vegetable stamps, but to actually eat and to study. Right. And if you cut the carrots real thin, you can see all of the storage, the, the wonderful storage cells that are inside a carrot. 
and that makes their taproot so vital to the rest of the plant. Exactly, exactly. And um, you guys also um, make some gardens at, at some of the schools that you're in. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we have a few butterfly gardens. Most of our gardens are in containers. Some of them are movable. Uh-huh. And we do a lot of, uh, well, our container gardens sort of evolved into be, being a lot of herb beds because we find the students respond really well to herbs because they grow quickly. They can grow at different times of year. They're smelly. They're colorful. You can eat them. There's so many different um, properties that herbs have and Mm -hmm. we also have some fairly big gardens like at ps 57 in east harlem um we have a garden of dreams and the garden was designed by the students it has an outdoor structure that's actually quite big i think it's something like 18 by 12 wow and um the structure is an outdoor classroom, but we use the roof to collect rainwater. Uh-huh. That's great. So we can use the rainwater to water the rest of the garden. The garden has peach trees and grapevines and um, a, a huge vegetable bed, a little waterfall, and a lot of different shrubs. So the kids, the third graders, maintain the garden. And so... When you're in third grade at PS57, you know that you're going to be responsible for the garden and you'll be out there every week. It's actually quite a treat. Now, it sounds like a dream. I mean, my, I have a kid in, in the New York City public school system and I know how hard it is to get any kind of anything done through that, you know, thick bureaucracy. So it's amazing what you've done, Pam, you know, to, to well, be actually... We've actually followed along with a lot of the bureaucracy. Our, our instructors are fingerprinted. We go along with the scope and sequence for science. I mean, a lot of the science-mandated um, um, rules for what students need to, to learn in each grade goes hand-in-hand hand with gardening. I mean, we yeah. classify populations as producers, consumers, decomposers. We teach students about ecosystems and food chains, and we also teach students to predict and observe patterns. Those are just really basic elements of science. So we've just used plants as the subject in which to teach those lessons. Right, right. Well, you know, like we said, some of our clients sure could use your class. (laughs) (laughs) Weather impacts the garden? Yes. (laughs) How I can't have my California garden in in my shade brownstone backyard. (laughs) Right. I want grass to grow right here. Right, right. Why doesn't it look like the Hamptons? And um, why can't it stay that size? Why is this tree so large? (laughs) (laughs) It didn't look this way when you put it in. (laughs) Well, we have to take a break. Um, Hang on to the line, Pam. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Forests are being felled. Wetlands are being drained. And heaps of grass are being plowed up to make way for crops and houses. How the wild is natural or semi-natural habitats are shrinking in the face of the increasing human population. One habitat, the garden, is increasing. And I think it is never exaggeration to say that today's gardens are our most important nature reserves. Gardens cover almost a million hectares of the United Kingdom alone. And it is this enormous extent, as well as their great variety, that makes them such valuable wildlife refuges. 
more and more to the wildlife than the surrounding countryside. But it's pesticide drenched with monocultures. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., Chef Erica Wides hits the airwaves to become your own personal chef instructor. Chef Wides, along with esteemed guests from the culinary world, dissect topics that range from the complex to the deceptively simple, combining classic culinary know-how, personal experiences, and the occasional virtual history lesson. Why We Cook is a great listen for culinary vets and rookies alike. Again, that's Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants, Heritage Radio Network. We're talking with Pam Ito, Director of Children's Education, um, about her program Appleseed at the Horticultural Society of New York. That song was a song called Urban Gardens, and I love this. I love the, that. The that was a great the, song. The name, of the, the name of the band, though, is called Amongst the Pigeons. <laughs> Which is perfect. It's a great song. It's a great song. (laughs) So um, it's interesting that that Jack just made that announcement about Erica Wides and and her food program here on Heritage, because that's what we want to talk with with Pam about. Um, Pam has just um, uh, put together through her Appleseed program an exhibition of art that the kids in her classrooms did um, and it's it's an exhibition called Sprout, and this year it's based on food, and the title is You Art What You Eat. That's a great title, Pam. Oh, thanks. It's awesome. And of course, you know, food is a hot topic. <laughs> but of, Not as, on the Wendy Williams show. <laughs> as gar- It should be. Maybe she wouldn't be so weird. <laughs> but as gardeners, we've, of course, known that food is a hot topic all along, Um and uh, this series of, of art exhibitions actually started years ago when I was at the Hort as director of exhibitions. So it's fun to see the kind of lineage of the show continuing. Um, and like I said, this year's focus is food. Um, you art what you eat. So Pam, tell us a little bit about that exhibition. How long will it run for? And when did the kids begin making the art, etc.? Um, the show is up right now. We just had our opening um, two nights ago, and um, the show is very fun and playful. There's there's actually a drawing of um, a refrigerator. Chris Murtha, our exhibitions director now, drew a refrigerator and put a bunch of the artwork on the refrigerator. Oh, that sounds oh, great. Yeah. Just absolutely precious. And um, the show is up until March 18th. Okay. And the show really is trying to get at I mean we as as a organization um, just having learning about food has been core to the apple seed program and just trying to get students to see parts of plants as food items not just as a plant so um, we started our studies for the show and the artwork for the show in, in December and it's a comprehensive botany study we take a look at the anatomy and function of roots, stems, leaves, flowers, fruits, and seeds. So this six-week study, each week the students observe and produce artwork and then eat whatever they've used as subjects. Um, for example, they did a little spinach pounding to take out the chlorophyll pigments. They 
um, did some still life paintings of ingredients for guacamole and then ate them. Yum! <laughs> they also um, examined unusual fruits and vegetables like parsnips, fennel, artichokes, tamarind, and kohlrabi. And these are all rich um, source, sources of, of subject material to just sort of let their imagination run wild. And right. so we're trying to make the connection between healthy, nutritious plants and healthy, nutritious people. Oh, nice. And these are third graders, you said, Pam, right? Um, yeah, they range from kindergarten through fifth, and mm-hmm. we're actually just starting a new middle school program this spring. Okay. And the exhibition is 160 works. That's a large show. It really is. It's because we just, in the past, we just really were very diligent about keeping the number down. But this year, I just kind of put my foot down and I said, it's too hard to choose and they should all be in there. Oh, my God. How do you tell a a second grader? (laughs) I'm sure your piece isn't, you know, really (laughs) good enough. But I actually was able to survey some of the show as it was being hung by Chris Murtha. And um, there's still life. There's illustrative botanical studies there's fruit prints there's acrylics there's drawings um it, i mean it's a it's an am- there's sculpture it's an amazing show of of food and how food um is is looked at you know and mm-hmm. i mean there's there's illustrations of of plates of veggies you know yeah. right and right it's so and great. also things like different perspectives like a perspective from the bug's eye or the bird's eye view of of this plant growing or this plant um you know sort of being pulled out of the ground and ideally the messages that you know we're trying to foster this this relationship between plants and people. Right. And I think that being in the city, students really have a disconnect between the air and the soil and the sun, and that all of these basic elements, you know, really connect to something and and formulate cells and become a plant. And this plant can be this converted energy allows us when we eat it to breathe and dance and learn and love each other and and then it's our responsibility to plant again yeah and it becomes part of you i mean it's you know the plants become very in a very fundamental way and biologic way a part of you yeah it really is a circular (laughs) system and and i love that you're focused on that because i i think in new york city that idea is lost so so quickly it can be absorbed into the sounds of the subway and you know trying to walk down the street and hold on to your umbrella like it just you know and and you know kids i mean you know just based on my son's experience the school's school lunches are far from connected to the natural world right yeah definitely <laughs> so just if if a child tastes something really fresh and real you know, once or twice, I think it makes an impact, you and know, right. to talk to about it, you know, and explain what it is and how it grows and, and that avocados don't come from the farmer's market. Right, right. <laughs> you know, well, and then also these plants can be, these plants can be fun to, to experiment with that they have all these interesting colors and they have all these textures and that you can use the um, orange, you could sort of squeeze out the juice of the orange, but then you could use that little orange to make a print out of or, right. 
you know, together with a cucumber, these two prints look really amazing next to each other, especially if they're in different colors. And you can use these plants as this, a source of, you know, a wonderful, lush, creative watercolor that you do. Right. And you did some um, making of natural dyes, too, right? Yes, with, um, with beet juice and with onion skins and also with spinach. Uh-huh. So do the kids come to the show, Pam? Do they? They did. It was That's absolutely great. insane. We had <laughs> 80 kids there. Um, and with the flamenco band and and, um, and, food. and like platters and platters of vegetables. I've never seen so much vegetables being consumed. By children. I was very pleased. Good. And, you know, big bowls of clementines and, and you know, pounds and pounds of strawberries were eaten. So tell us a little bit more about some of the food-centered lesson plans. Sure. Um, we actually have been doing a, a cooking class at the, at the office with the homeschool community, and we're actually developing um, this curriculum right now. So we're trying to get, uh, we're working on different recipes that are kid-friendly, and we're also working on a cookbook with a couple of the different classes. Um, we're going to have the students go home and and try to get recipes that involve three or more servings of veg or three or more different kinds of vegetables, uh-huh. and then bring them back to school, like family recipes that they eat regularly. Oh my bring God, them what back a great to school cookbook. and put together a cookbook for the sixth graders. Mm, um, we need to get you some publication money for that. <laughs> that would be fabulous. <laughs> we actually have um, a nice. Uh, conference coming up at the Horticultural Society on the last day of the opening on, on urban agriculture. So if, if anybody would like more information about that, they can visit our website. We're having three speakers in the morning, or four speakers in the morning, and then after lunch, uh, a huge, impressive panel of, of um, speakers and you know to talk about um, their experience with urban agriculture. Yeah, actually, I think um, Greenhorn Radio, who does a show here, I think they're involved with your events. Huh. I think so, yeah. Um, it's hsny.org for yeah. more information. And that, that event is on March 18th, right? Right. It starts at 10. And if you want more information, you can contact our director of horticulture, George Pazania. Great. We have an amazing list of, of speakers, including um, Jeremy Smith, the author of Growing a Garden City. Oh, awesome. So tell us a little bit, Pam, about the plans for the summer. What, um, how, does the, how does it continue? How does your work continue past the school year? Well, some, actually, in some of the gardens, we are there all year round. Um, mm. We have a couple of gardens in Harlem. Um, that we use as outdoor learning laboratories in the summer. So we actually serve the students one day a week, mm-hmm. even in July and through August. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to get outside, and, and since it is the summer, we can do things like harvest cherry tomatoes and, um, yeah. and you know plant all kinds of different veggies that will grow in the, in the hottest part of the summer. So were you working with school kids, though, like from the from summer school? 
We do work with some summer school students, but then we also go into libraries yes. and the old Green Branches program. We still serve those those libraries, so yeah. um, gardens that might have a, a library gar- or libraries that might have a library garden. We go into those um, libraries in Brooklyn and in Queens, and even in Manhattan, and we do a program called Read and Seed. Yes. Oh, I remember that well. On, <laughs> yeah, which is centered on gardening, hands-on gardening outside, not in the library, reading a book that relates to that subject, and then also an art project. So it's those three activities happening simultaneously. Yes, and those. And were- actually, this approach to learning, um, the art science reading approach, is highlighted in our professional development courses that I teach for teachers. Right, yeah. So teachers can actually get credits for taking our class. Um, we had a class this past fall on green roofs and green walls. Uh-huh. And this, the participate, participants built an actual green wall. Great. And I just got approval for a class called The Joy of Vegetables. So I'm going to be teaching about colorful vegetables that are easy to grow in school gardens. And you're going to teach that to teachers. Right. So that they can... in July. Great. Mm-hmm. So they and can take my, that information into their, their classrooms. Right, exactly. So by teaching, say, maybe 20, 20 teachers, you really can reach out to something like 400 students in yeah. one year. Yeah, exponential. Right. Yeah, that's one of the challenges of, I guess, working in the public schools. I always wondered, the gardens, the summertime is the, the time where the gardens need the most maintenance. Right. So who takes care of them, you know, when the school is Oftentimes, yeah. um, it falls on the custodians and, and the parents. Some parents yeah. will actually go back into the school regularly. Right. Some schools have summer schools, so they can use the garden regularly to water and as a place to do some reading outside. Mm-hmm. But usually summer schools kind of mandated for students who really need the, the academic help. The, yeah, right. The extra time. Right. right. Well, I'm sorry, Pam, we're out of time. Um, I We can talk so much more forever about your program. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing all your experience with us and for helping improve New York City kids. And the wonder on their faces when they first pick up that worm is so delightful that you've infused nature into their city life. And we want to encourage our listeners to donate. The Horticultural Society is a non-for-profit institution, and Pam accepts donations of any size. <laughs> yeah. She's brought a <laughs> and little... And we also accept donations of help, too. If you'd like to come and volunteer in our gardens, feel free to reach out. And oh, I know a lot of and, listeners would love that. Yeah, and Pam's very good at organizing, so you really will get a good task to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank- I always tell the volunteers that every day is our opportunity to learn something new. Oh, Pam, mahalo for all that you do, <laughs> for bringing a little bit of Hawaii to us and for teaching us to respect and understand the natural things. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Sure. Thank you for joining us today on We Dig Plants. Uh, visit the website and learn a, a bit more about her program, hsny.org, Appleseed. Thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and engineering Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and to our sponsor, Please leave comments and join our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc., We Dig Plants. Join us on Twitter, also We Dig Plants. And happy gardening. See you in the garden.
thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent? To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world. The menu for this unprecedented event is derived from educational themes of the museum. Chefs will draw inspiration from sources outside their normal sphere. How will a cutting-edge chef handle the Paleolithic, or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients? What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome? The chefs include David Chang of Momofuku, Wiley Dufresne of WD-50, Mark Ladner of Del Posto, Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute, Cesare Casella of Salumeria Rossi, Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Bolte of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of BR Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat LaFrieda Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. The Snacky Tunes compilation has arrived and is available for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com. This compilation features live performances from some of the hottest acts around today, including Midnight Magic, Surfer Blood, Oberhofer, and more. Again, you can download this compilation for free on our website, heritageradionetwork.com, and make sure to listen to Snacky Tunes every Monday at 2 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Foods USA. In late March, Dan, Andrea, Patrick, and the Heritage team are traveling to the coldest reaches of the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont to help the Cantor family tap sugar maple trees. Then the maple sap will flow down to the sugar house where it is boiled gently over a wood fire just as it has been for generations. Just a few days later, this grade A amber syrup will be poured into the beautiful glass jugs and sent to you for pancakes, waffles, desserts, glazing hams, or just drinking by the spoonful. There's only a limited supply, so order today. Each one liter bottle is $45, including delivery. Delivery will be at the end of March, and we will notify you of the exact shipping date. Each shipment will include a CD explaining the whole process. You can also follow us on YouTube while we work and bottle. In the meantime, you can head over to the Heritage Radio Network archives and listen to Linda Palaccio talk about maple syrup on her show, A Taste of the Past, Episode 12. For more information, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com.